Hello and welcome to the No Pressure Podcast. My name is Adam. I'm your host. My guest today is a CMO at Gluey, which is an app that connects brands and influencers to make creative and fun marketing campaigns that will generate conversions. He's also an entrepreneur, a blogger, and just an overall really chill guy, my friend, Chris. Chris, how's it going? Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited you're here. So just for the listeners, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you, you know, how you got to where you are and what you currently do. Okay, like icebreakers, ready? Christian Brown from Massachusetts. <laughs> um, my favorite movie is The Social Network. Um, and I love hanging out with my grandmother. There's a little bit about me. Now, um, so I grew up in Massachusetts, right, where Adam and I became friends in the high school era. From there, I went on to DePaul University in Chicago, where I lived for four years. In the middle, I did a semester of school in Barcelona, spent a lot of time out in Europe. That really crossed me into the international type guy that, you know, I, I continued to always love and be. Um, and then from there, at the end of school, um, I was working a lot in Los Angeles with like a lot of friends in the influencer and entrepreneur space there and tech and social, et cetera. Um, and one of my really good friends from that era named Dylan Duke had called me. This is like around the time that COVID was starting. And he actually said to me, he's like, hey, like I have this idea for this tech platform. And we had spoken ab about it years prior. He's like, yeah, the time is now. Like, I really want to get this thing off the ground. Like, uh, you should come down to Florida. And I was like, oh, well, COVID's starting, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, no, like I have a place down here. Like, I'm going to move from LA back to Florida like tomorrow. And I literally was like, all right, man, let's do it. And I was on the next flight out. Eight hours later, I was in the air flew down to Florida and that's when we kind of started the Gluey project. So around like a year and a half uh, or a little more than that ago is when we had this idea and uh, Dylan presented it to me and then we really started working on it. And then from there we built the Gluey platform, web, iOS, Android, uh, which, you know, I lead the marketing on, which has led me to this guest feature today. Yeah, absolutely. And I can personally attest to the platform. If you are an influencer who's trying to grow their channel and, you know, monetize or just a brand looking to get into the influencer marketing space, highly recommend checking it out. You know, it's free to join and they help you kind of organize your campaigns on the brand side or find campaigns that work for you on the influencer side. Overall, just great platform. Definitely check it out. But Thanks. absolutely. So have to get the shameless plugs in there, right? Of course. So, Chris, I want to kind of want to get into this with you. You're around influencing marketing, you're around social media, you're around data. It's some things that we're both passionate about. Mm -hmm. In today's kind of landscape, right? You have your traditional news channels. You have your TV news. I think when I hear that Fox, CNN, MSNBC, all that kind of stuff. Versus now, news and information is much more conveyable, much more accessible quicker through channels like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. So with that being said, it seems like a lot of these, you know, giant news channels are kind of reversing the cycles and pulling their news from social media events rather than getting the news and distributing it way for the reaction on social media. How do you kind of see that going in the era where people are becoming more digitally literate? Yeah, great question. So I think why we have to look at this is we have to go back in time, um, go back to like when our parents or our grandparents were a little more in our age, you know, early 20s, right? And even older than that. So back in the day, you, I mean, you kind of touched on this. What would happen is events would happen in the world, out local, state, country, worldwide news, right? And then from there, you know, a journalist, right? Journalists would go to the scene, understand what's going on, write it down, record it, et cetera, bring it back, chop it up, get it ready for that 5 p.m. headline. From there at 5 p.m., everyone would tune in on their TVs in their living room or in their kitchen while they're having dinner, and they would start consuming this media, right? And the headlines are made to attract your attention. What happens at its core 
in journalism and news, they sell clicks. They, or, well, back in the day, they used to sell ads, which came from eyeballs. More people watch the news, more money that the, you know, the news station can sell that advertisement for. And as that turned digital, it turned into clicks. But back in the day, they needed people to watch. So at 5 p.m., those headlines would come out, right? And they'd say like, oh, this massive event happened on a worldwide scale, or oh, this is happening in our state or our country, or oh, you know, tragedy in our town, X, Y, Z reason. Uh, and then what happened is the people, you know, our parents, our grandparents' generation, they would consume that information and then talk amongst each other. And the next day they'd bring it to work or school, wherever, and they'd talk about it. So that whole idea and that stream and that cycle, I think has gotten completely squashed because as we have social media, we have it all at our fingertips. Do you have cable? No, I don't. I don't have cable either. I once had one guy that lived in my house in college actually got cable for one month. He said, let's try this and let's laugh at it. Cause we were all advertising marketing students. We're like, let's see how like, not false, but behind the ball they all are. So I think that you and I and a lot of people of our generation and especially the future generation, you know, the kids that spend a lot of time on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, et cetera. Cable is not a necessity, nor is it a want or a need to us. Because what happens is in real time on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on these live feeds, we get all the information. What happens? Something will happen, you know, international, country, state, local level, instantaneously, where's the communication and the chatter? It's online. It happens on Twitter. What happens from there? The news will break on Twitter, right? A news station will pick it up. In the meantime, while the news station is trying to like license it and, and get you know the accessibility to put it on their show, now it's getting moved over to Instagram and people are organically bringing that news to Instagram, then maybe on Snapchat, then to TikTok. And by the time that it's ran its course online, right? Now it's the 5 p.m. news cycle. And now the older generations are consuming that, but it's, it's churned out because the content really broke on Twitter it got evaluated and, you know, it ran its course throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, it goes on to like, let's call it the normies, the adults, right? And then they see it. And I always joke with my mother. She'll be like, oh, did you see this headline? And I'm like, mom, that broke this morning at 8.55. The story developed by 9.03 by Twitter user XYZ. Uh, four people proved it right. Seven people proved it wrong. The discourse happened online. And now everyone knows the real facts about it. And now the news is showing you what they want to show you about this. I was like, I can always tell my mom, like, that's old news. When to her, it's news news. But like in real time, you know, I used to wake up, jump on the train at school, and I would get all my information on Twitter throughout the day. The first thing I do when I wake up, I go on Twitter, right? I go to the Explore page. I check out the feed. I read what's going on. I sit outside and, you know, I grew up in a family that loved reading the newspaper, like the physical, tangible newspaper. I could never figure out how to get to section A5. I could never flip to the right page. I could never find stuff I wanted to. But I always knew like, oh, wake up, get a coffee, newspaper, consume news, have stuff to talk about that day. And I kind of reoriented that in my life. And I think that I speak for a lot of people in our generation, whether it's Twitter or Snapchat news, the Instagram explore, explore page or following different sites on Instagram and pages that, you know, screenshot and repost news. And that's happening on TikTok now too. We as consumers of media can get up in the morning and know everything that's going on on all four levels from international to localized. And we can get it at our fingertips for, for no subscription, no fee, no cost. And we can pick and choose what we want to read at what time and how we want to consume that. So I think that there's a big shift where like media happens, like traditional media, it happens, but it's really only happening on a set time frame for the generation that still is stuck to a TV. Whereas for us, it happens in real time at our fingertips 24 seven. There's, there's no off time, you know, Twitter doesn't shut down. Instagram doesn't stop posting. You as a user, as a consumer, have the ability to be up to date on all fronts of the world in real time, which I think is something that has never happened in the past, 
and will continue to develop, expand, you know, and inform in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I always see too is the news stations are so far behind that they're trying to grab that same content from social media and repurpose it onto the news. So for example, if you see like a viral sports clip, right, you scroll through the comments, you can almost always find ESPN or Sports Center commenting on it saying, hey, can we use this video? Sometimes they'll get a yes, sometimes they'll get a no, depending on the person. But it's just stuff like that, where with things being more accessible and being more current, you find that these news stations are trying to keep up, but they're limited to these time slots. And I think time is everything right now. People don't want to dedicate time towards one thing. That's why digital meetings are so popular now, because you know no one wants to dedicate the time to drive somewhere, go sit down in a meeting for an hour and drive 25 minutes back, where you can you know open your computer, click a button and boom, you're here. So I think that the needness to save time coming forward is going to change a lot of the cable stuff. I think we're going to see pre-recorded news episodes and then you can kind of click on each one throughout the day whenever you want to watch it. So like a five minute news segment where if it's, you know, the morning, the news people get in there at six, they film it, they put that episode on for like a streaming service then you can click it throughout the day and watch it and that'll give you your rundown for the day rather than having those time slots. So I'm kind of excited to see where that space goes. But, you know, with that being said, on the side of like traditional media versus untraditional media, we are now in an era where there are more people with smartphones than have cable or, you know, watching the news. No, you know, look at someone like Selena Gomez, right? She has 287 million followers on Instagram right now. 287 million people have never watched the same thing at once. And that kind of brings me to the point, the content that we're seeing being run for ads on social media it's starting to parlay more into the content that we're seeing as ads on television. As somebody in that influencer marketing space, what do you see as far as the content and just the ads? You, th- you think they're becoming more similar as like social media and TV ads, or do you still think like a commercial on television is a huge big deal? I mean, great question. So, and I think you even alluded at my answer while describing the Selena Gomez thing. I think where we need to take it back is like kind of merge our two last topics together. Let's merge news and commercials, right? Because what funds the news is commercials, advertising, marketing, journalism, they, they all tie together to be big media. So with that, right, what happens if you're sitting in a room with a family, let's say you're, you're watching from a wild, wildflower point of view, and you're watching a family that has, you know, a mom and a dad, and then three kids that are a little younger than us, let's call them like, you know, 12, 15, 17, right? And they're watching TV or a movie or a show, right? with their parents enjoying their time their evening on a weekday and a commercial comes on. You can see that all three of those kids, I guarantee you nine out of 10 times will go right to their phone. And what do they do? They know in the back of their head, they have one minute between the show they're watching the commercial and the show they want to watch again, where they can just start scrolling aimlessly. So with that minute, what happens like the psychology there is that those kids are so adapt to getting so much content in, in quick, real time that their mind says, okay, I don't want to watch this because I didn't choose to watch this commercial. Therefore, I'm going to go watch stuff that I want to watch because in our head, we have a catered feed made for us on our phone. That's why the following feature exists. You follow people to get a catered feed. So what you'll see is that minute, that 60 seconds is spent communicating with others or consuming content on someone's phone, right? The iPhones will pop right up. The second the show comes back on, they'll taper it down, they'll wean off. Maybe they'll miss the first 10 seconds of the show because they're finishing up whatever's on their phone. So with that in mind, we need to think, so if commercials aren't working on TV, they have to be working on social. And there's kind of like a funny paradigm shift here where what I've seen, because I have like one of those Hulu accounts that we don't pay for, 
funny enough. So we actually get the ads. And the reason that I don't pay for it is because I'm so intrigued because Netflix obviously doesn't have ads or anything. None of the streaming services I watch have any ads at all, but the Hulu has the ability to have ads. So I'm like, let's keep the Hulu ads on because I want to see what they're doing, right? And I always watch all these ads on Hulu because Hulu is centered around, you know, people like us, you know, busy people that want to watch stuff when they want to watch stuff. But if they want to watch ads, you know, okay, Hulu might have some cool ads, right? So I'm in that bucket. With that, all the ads on Hulu are UGC, which means user generated content. And I'm so fascinated lately by watching them because you'll see an ad for like a company that'll deliver food to your house, that like HelloFresh that you can pre-make in your kitchen, right? And that ad, that 60 second spot, will just consist of Instagram shout out videos, like brand deals, right? Like you'll see the ad is not 13 by six anymore in like the frame width, right? It's now like, it'll be the background color of the brand. And in the middle of the screen, you'll see an Instagram story recorded and thrown into an ad. And you'll see like an accumulation of those, like a compilation almost. And that is their ad that they're running on Hulu. So brands are actually getting these brand deals with creators to make user generated content because they're taking the power of the creator and they're saying, hey, here's our product. I want you to make it look like this is a part of your life. And eventually over time, they become a brand advocate and that product, that service is a part of their life. But initially, they're showing that product to their followers, to their fans, whoever may you know, be in that viewership. And they're showing that brand a part of their life. And then what, what the brand, HelloFresh in this example, is doing is they're grabbing the licensing fee to that piece of user-generated content. They might pay them for it originally. They'll grab the usage fee right? The relicensing, the, the repurposing fee, they'll pay them for it. And then they'll run that in a compilation on Hulu. So now when you're watching Hulu, your mind instantly doesn't think, let me go on my phone because that commercial is feeding you content that you know comes from your phone. So that's how big brands are now working to get people to stay watching the commercials. But at the end of the day, where does it all start? It starts on social. So the big media cycle has turned completely and it's no longer, let's build a commercial. Yeah, Matt Damon in crypto did a great commercial lately, but guess where it came out? It was a 60 second spot. Guess where they started the media planning process? They said, let's put it on social first, have everyone see it on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, have people talk about Matt Damon for crypto.com, then we'll air it. So now people can see it on their TV. They're like, oh, I already saw that ad. Like I wanna watch it again, it was so cool. And then all the older people who are stuck to the TV, it's their first time seeing it. They're like, what is crypto.com, right? Now they might go reverse down the cycle and they might go look at it on social or online, et cetera. But to everyone that's seen an ad on social before and they see it on their TV, they're like, oh yeah, I know that. I recognize that. And now you're going to get someone to watch an ad. But the idea of advertisements on TV and media are completely shifting to be social first, media second. So I think it's fascinating because what that does is it proves and validates the market and it gives the power back to the creator. It says, hey, look, we don't want to spend, you know, $750,000 for a studio, for a media space, for all the media playing and buying, for the casting, uh, for the, the cutting and editing of this commercial. We want to just pay creators to do this online. And we want to have, you know, our intern shop it up. And then we want to buy a spot on Hulu. And it's so low budget and it's so effective in today's age that, you know, it works. Like everything that we once grew up on commercials are kind of out the window in today's age. And, and I think they'll be even further and further from the line of normality as we continue to advance in social. Absolutely. And one other thing kind of going off that that I've seen too is the ad space used to be 
you, know, you can run an ad on television and it'll cost you X amount of money. So it kind of outlies a lot of small businesses and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, I'm thinking of Facebook as an example, as a platform, you have your bids and you have your budgets and all that that you need to be conscious of. But with that being said, you can now run ads in the same channels as these massive companies. So the ads have to be more snackable than they were before, because it's not like you have another choice as to what you can do saying, Oh, I can, I'm only going to advertise here. Like you need to be everywhere. I can go on Hulu right now on Hulu ads and put in a thousand dollar bid and I can have a commercial running on Hulu in between, you know, hello fresh or something like a crypto.com as myself. So it becomes to the point too, where everybody has a level playing field. So testing these ads on social before they take it to TV is kind of the way they break that level playing field for a big brand mm-hmm. because the big brands are going to be the ones you see on social and then on TV, whereas the small businesses, you know, you're going to see them only in your feed. So that's been one other interesting point too, that I've just kind of seen in that digital ad space as well. Have you kind of noticed that same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's fun there is that with social, everyone has the ability to play. There's no barrier to entry, right? Like think about it back in the day when I was studying advertising, at school, it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to spend $300,000 at an agency to go buy an ad spot for a month. Like that $300,000, what company, what startup has that for a TV spot that you can't even track real ROI on? That was so kind of, you know, really out there in this space that what I identified there is there's a barrier to entry. Only your big boys can buy commercials and it's, you know, it's a pain to do so. But now with social and the idea of creator marketing, influencer marketing, right? Anyone, any company of any size, whether you're a brand new startup or you're a fortune 500, you have the funds, the means, the accessibility through platforms like Gluey, through Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, all those to work with creators to actually have low budget campaigns that execute well. So like, let's think if you have $3,000, right? And you know, you have an a marketing ad spend budget, right? And you want to do influencer marketing. You're not going to be able to go get your Kylie Jenner and that's fine. You know, your Kylie, your Kendall, your Cam, your Charlie D'Amelio, your Addison, right? You're you're not going to be able to get them or talk to them or, or bid with them. And that's totally fine, but that doesn't disclude you, right? You can then go to a micro creator and say, hey, I want to work with five micro creators for $600. I want two feed posts. I want them done on Monday and Wednesday of two weeks from now. And I want them to tag our brand, use a specific hashtag, and have this caption, right? And you're going to find creators, especially like how our system works is a brand comes on and they say, we want to work with this type of creator and creators will bid to be in that because we align creators with brands that fit their, you know, their niche, their interest, their personal brand identity, et cetera. And I'm not, you know, saying that that's the best way or only way to do it if you're a small startup or whatever, but I'm saying that platforms like Gluey, platforms like social, they exist for the sense that you can connect in real time with someone that wants to execute on your budget. So I think that going back to the idea of the little boys being able to play, they can play, right? A startup can play, a mom and pop shop can play. They can buy these ads and run them on social, whereas they can never, they don't even know who to call to run an ad, you know, on TV, right? Maybe like running an ad on Hulu's ad network is scary, right? But doing it, doing creative marketing, it's accessible, it's doable, it's there, and it's happening all the time. So I think it's really fun because we level the playing field, right? Your big spenders are still going to spend big and they're going to outbid your small guys. But for once in the whole advertising agency industry in general, the little boys of any size, the startups and the mom and pops can play the game and they can play it really well. And they can even gamify it where it's like, I'm going to work with 30 micro creators, right? So I'm going to have 30 pieces of content that they can repurpose on their social. So now they don't need to worry about going out 
and, and creating content and hiring a photographer, et cetera, they can get the product into the hands of the creators. And now they have a 30 page feed. Now you can just reinvest that money, double down on it. Now you have 60 photos of real people using your product in real time to show to your followers, to your fans, to repurpose on social, um, to run on Facebook, Instagram. You can put money behind those ads. There, there's a lot to do with a small budget in today's age where like back in the day, I was told, yeah, it costs $300,000 to run an ad. It cost $135,000 per second of airtime in a Super Bowl ad last year. $135,000 per second. Think about that. One yeah. second. A lot and of money. I, I, I honestly, at this point in time, Super Bowl ads are cool, but I don't genuinely think they're worth it if you're looking for tangible growth. I think that it's yeah. so oversaturated at this point that if you're actually looking to run an ad for the real purpose of running an ad, which is to generate revenue by textbook definition, you want to kind of hit those smaller channels, which brings me to the next point. Currently, you have your two types of influencers. You have your micro influencers, and then you have your big influencers, thinking like the Kim Kardashians, the Kylie Jenners, who are charging millions of dollars for one post. In some circumstances, those major influencers are great, right? You know, if you want to get in front of people, but conversions are always a little tricky with them. Whereas you have your micro influencers who are more niche based and have a direct audience rather than having an over direct audience. So with that being said, which kind of, if you're a small business, right, where do you kind of want to sit on that side of things? Do you want to choose a micro avenue? Do you want to just pay that giant influencer, you know, all this money for one post or get, you know, that relationship with that micro influencer? So I think it would be the latter being the micro. So <laughs> like, look, so looking at things from a data perspective, right? What can we look at on Instagram? Um, tier one data is what we call it. We can pull in uh an influencer or creators likes comments, shares impressions right and then through that you can run an algorithm that understands their engagement rate and their engagement rate is of the total people that follow them how many of those people are engaging with that creator right and what we do right in our data is we kind of weight it so a like is worth a little less than a comment and a share is worth a lot more than a like and an impression is just an impression it's just someone viewing your content etc so what we like to do is understand the engagement rate value of a micro creator so someone with, let's say, 10 or 20,000 followers has a real, real grasp on those 10 or 20,000 followers, right? Those 20,000 people are like, oh, I love Sally. Sally does X, Y, Z. Sally uses brands A, B, C, right? Oh, I saw Sally's post. Oh my God, did you see Sally do this, do that? And the 20,000 people are a community that all follow this one creator. From there, as the creator starts to grow and stuff, more people come into that community. Maybe some people in the community will think, oh, like, you know, Sally's blowing up. She's getting big. She's going Hollywood. Like, it's no longer the same. I'm not one of 10 people commenting anymore. But that community aspect, that holds in Sally, the Sally creator. In her mind, she has a stronghold and she can actually influence creators, going back to like influencers in general, right? So a brand might go to Sally and say, hey, I have $500 and I want a feed post or maybe a feed post and a story, right? And Sally could get sent product frame that product as if she loves it, it's in her life, et cetera, record videos of her using the product in real time in her life and create content, utilizing that product and incorporating that product in and then share it with her 20,000 followers. Now those 20,000 followers, right? And I keep going, I keep repeating that word to really hammer home micro because we're gonna do an example with Kim in a second. So those 20,000 followers will say, oh my gosh, like this is a new product, I never heard about it. Sally likes it and I love Sally. I'm gonna go follow that brand. Now you have that creator on top of funnel because now anytime you post on Instagram, on your story, on your feed, that creator will see that and say, oh my God, that's the brand Sally worked with, right? And now let's say that you're, you know, Sally's a female. So let's say it's makeup. 
um, Sally's working with a new startup makeup company that does moisturizers. So the, the brand sends Sally a bunch of moisturizers. She posts videos of her using all of them and let's call it, um, I'm thinking of a fun word for this, like moisture today would be the brand name, right? I'm just using hypotheticals. So now one of Sally's 20,000 followers walks into Sephora and sees, wants to buy a moisturizer, right? Sees 500 different brands and moisturizers, you know, on the shelf. She's looking, she's like, oh, that's expensive. Oh, that's Prada, I know about that. Oh, it's Balenciaga, of course that's expensive, a little too out of my range. And now that person scans the whole wall. Now they stop and they see that moisturizer that Sally once promoted. Now that stands out to her. Oh my gosh, that's that's the product and the company that Sally promoted. I follow them on Instagram. And now right then and there, and how it looks in a visual sense, that product jumps off the shelf. It nearly jumps off the shelf into that person's cart you know, their physical cart in their hand because there's an association with that product. So that startup, that, you know, fantastic job getting into a Sephora, one of these retailers, now they have the upper hand advantage where that person going into the store doesn't have to look at the labels and, and see what brand looks bubbly and looks fun, right? Like branding aside, they now can, that person can say, oh my gosh, I know about this brand. I follow them on Instagram. Sally posted about them two months ago, right? I've been following them. They have great stories and stuff. Now it's a no-brainer. What moisturizer are you buying? Because that person would go, they'd put it in their cart, they'd check out. Now they'd use it. They'd go back to the store. They'd buy it again. They'd tell their friends about it. So now at the top of the funnel, Sally posted about it. And now her followers are buying the product, using it, being repeatable customers, and now telling their friends about it. So you're paying a micro-influencer to be a brand advocate once or twice for you know a small $500 fee. And now her followers are buying your product with lifetime value and they're being brand advocates on the smaller scale, kind of like a pyramid, right? A pyramid of organic, you know, advocacy that now you have a, you have an army of people that are now talking about your brand and product and sharing it with their friends, family, et cetera, in an organic non-paid way. So that's kind of the power of micro. So going with the macro level, right? Your Kim's, your Kylie's, your Kendall's, et cetera. Yeah, they have, you know, let's say 20 million followers, right? Let's put a, a thousand X on our friend over there, Sally. So you can get in front of possibly 20 million people, right? Let's say they get a million likes, uh, maybe 5 million impressions. But why do people follow Kim and Kylie in them? It's because they're great looking people and they have cool content. So they do brand deals all the time. They're a little watered down, washed in my opinion, right? So to give Kim and, and you know, I know someone, I know a couple brands that have actually given Kim or Kylie 1.25 million per post. And what happens? The posts go up, some followers come in, so hard to track ROI. So if you're just a big brand and you have this crazy budget for it, it's just like a huge, like, screw you move. Let's just throw our money into the abyss, right? I think your mega plays are really fun. Um, I think a mega play in a partnership way like Dunkin Donuts and Charlie D'Amelio where it was mutually beneficial and symbiotic where Charlie got a drink. She introduced a drink on TikTok that was available at every Dunkin Donuts in the United States for over two and a half weeks and it sold four million units like in the first few days because Charlie hyped it up on TikTok and every 16-year-old girl wanted to go to Dunkin Donuts and get it, right? I mean, I even got one because I was like, yeah, I love this, right? Like this is influencer marketing. This is creator marketing at its finest. I need to participate in this, right? And I, I, you know, I'm someone that reads the market and I was like, you know what? Great job, Dunkin Donuts. Great job, Charlie. I'm going to go support this. I love this idea. I love the campaign. I love the execution. But do I ever feel that way on a Kim Kardashian post? No. I'm like, oh, Kim's getting another million, another million, another million. I might be biased on it, but you know, it, it's, it's so see-through on these one-to-one -one mega big brand pays them out deals where it's not authentic and it's not organic and there, there's no real love to it. Whereas you see someone, you know, a creator 
that loves a brand and you see that brand being like, hey, you love us and we love you. Let's work together. Let's do a three-month partnership. Let's release a product together. That is when you start seeing these big brands win with mega creators. Um, but, you know, if there's if there's no affinity between the brand and the, the mega creator to begin with, I don't think that it's a good match. So, yeah, yeah. Lots, of, lots of chew on there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you, too. It's, at some point, it becomes oversaturated with one particular person. And I think that when you have a million people looking at something, it's like, okay, you know, I think they almost, they're interested, but they're not as interested as if they were a direct follower. And just like in music terms, right? If you have a massive artist who has a lot of streams, but can't sell tickets versus these smaller artists who are selling, you know, double, triple the tickets of them. That's just because that following is still more connected than somebody who has those 300, 400 million followers. But, you know, with that being said, like influencers on that business side need to kind of be cognizant of that and be cognizant of the leverage that they have in those types of situations, which brings me to the next point. A lot of times from what I've seen, people are kind of getting into that manager spot too early. They're getting to that point where they're finding somebody to say, handle my business when in all actuality, like if somebody's making, you know, 30, 40 grand a year and putting 25, 30 hours a week of work into their TikToks and their content and all that, there might not be at that point yet. And they're giving away, you know, 20 to 30% to somebody to maybe get them a deal based on, you know, I don't know if promises or credibility or whatever it may be. Have In that field, like, how do you think that a smaller creator should navigate that change of going into that manager role and establishing that team and knowing when the right time is? I know it's a great question. And what's funny is that, you know, I've been in talks lately. A lot of people, even like some creators on Gluey will come to us and be like, hey guys, I just don't know what's going on, right? Like I have a lot of followers. I want brand deals, but I want to go to that mega level. So, you know, and, and I've worked with a lot of managers and agents like growing up and in my life. And I've seen both sides of the coin. What does a manager do? They promise more brand deals, which means more money and they may promise growth. But yeah, like you said, they're going to take 30%. So Looking at it from a business point of view, would you give around one third of your total income to someone if they're not generating you more income? Absolutely not. But if they're going to take you from that, okay, I'm making 30,000 a year to like, I'm making $300,000 a year. If they're going to 10 X your total income in rev stream. Yeah. Maybe giving up one third or three tenths of that may be beneficial, but in that micro state and stage where a creator is just, you know, in that honeymoon with social phase where they're like, Oh my gosh, like all these people love me. I'm getting all these brand deals. I'm getting paid to do this and do that. All it really takes is an entrepreneurial mind to really hold and man that fort. And what I mean by that is like a manager, a, a manager, a micro creator at its core will just go through emails and say, yep, we'll take that brand deal. We'll take that brand deal. We'll take that brand deal, but it's all inflow of deals. So brands will be reaching out via email and it's up to the manager to really go through that discourse and, you know, find what's going on. Uh, pitch and kind of barter, et cetera, execute on the deals. But if there's no actually outflow of the brand, the manager or agent going to big brands and landing you spots, then what, what happens at the end of the day? All you need is an assistant or you just need to be better at checking your email or you just need to learn and, you know, figure out, work with other creators to learn, okay, how do I barter? How do I send, you know, my rate card, my scope of work? How do I do contracts, W9s, all that stuff? Once you have that kind of down, now you can cut out the manager yourself. And if you just don't want to do that for whatever reason, and you, you just want to take the backseat on the entrepreneurial side of things, and you want to take the front line with like the front facing 
almost like want to be not want to be celebrity but aspiring celebrity status type person then yeah a manager and agent's perfect and you're going to lose that 30 percent, but you're going to gain organization and then from there that time that would be spent like oh my gosh some creators might have all the headaches of like signing the contracts or whatever and i get that that's a headache and i get it's a pain point and if you don't want to do that then that 30 percent can go out the window and you can give that in exchange for that organization and then you can be a full-time creator but if you want to have 100% of your royalties, 100% of your income, et cetera, and you want to have that entrepreneurial mind, you need to create a team around you that is worked with you and for you rather than you work for them. And I think that, right, like look at Nelk. They're a great example. They're some of the funniest dudes, right? And they went out and they didn't go to some of the big management firms or agencies. They straight up said, we're going to build a team around us. We're going to have our merch in-house. We're going to have all our app. everything we're doing is going to be in-house right like youtube told them no money at all for the now boys and they said whatever we'll build a team we'll split up the revenue that we get and we'll allocate it towards building a business and now i genuinely believe full send can be worth a billion dollars if done correctly they said that in their new york times article a couple months ago by a good friend of mine taylor lorenz they said yeah we can build a billion dollar company but where did that start it started on social and they started with that i don't want to have a manager idea and then they got to a point where instead of having a manager, they went super celebrity status and brought their team in-house. And I think that I've seen a lot of other crews do that, right? Like FaZe will bring you on board kind of as a manager, kind of as an agent, and kind of as a mentor and boost you up and run things in-house. But when you start going to these like random managers and agents, really what are they doing? They're taking that 30% and they're taking it almost in malicious ways where it's like, oh, you got a deal for yourself. Well, I'm getting 30% of that. And to the creator, it's like, well, I just worked my butt off for that. The manager's like, well, we signed a contract. So I think there's a million ways to look at it. And it's really case by case. But as a micro creator, I think, you know, having tools like Louie, being able to create contracts for you, um, W9s for you, working with other companies out there that are giving you the information and tools necessary to be your own boss in the creator space is quintessential and will tenfold give you a better return both on how you look at your career path, but how you build and manage yourself and your team um, more than a manager or an agent will that comes in and hawks you at a micro level. Absolutely. And one thing that I kind of see too is a lot of people will rush into that status of like going and finding a manager or an agent um, too early because they simply don't know how to build something themselves one resource that I've seen that's really good as far as if you want to learn a little bit about how to run your business, I would suggest seeking out content on places like YouTube. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're not going to go to Harvard on YouTube. It's not going to happen. But like with that being said, you can find a lot of high quality things about how to manage time, how to run your business, how to you know do accounting, uh, how to negotiate, all of that kind of stuff. You can learn a lot of good, solid sales skills there that you can kind of partly into that creator mindset where if you're trying to leverage yourself against a brand deal or anything like that. Because giving up 30% of anything, especially early on, is tough because you're trying to build, right? It's like trying to build a business. I couldn't imagine giving up, you know, 30% of my income for something just when it comes in off the top just because somebody mm -hmm. might have done something when, you know, in all actuality, the one putting in more work is the person, you know, being managed or being represented. So that's one thing, too, is just like, especially if you're a young creator, people are going to approach you. And at some point they're going to say, I can do X, Y, and Z for you, or they're going to wave money in front of you and say, this is what's going to happen. It's part of this. And if you're popping enough, that's how it's going to go. Yes. And having the leverage and building that up to kind of 
say, okay, I already have X, Y, and Z. So what else can you offer me? And being in a position where you control the negotiations is key. And I think that's one thing you can't really lose sight of in the creator influencer space at all is that leverage. That leverage is so important. And that is something that grows with you. You don't have X amount of leverage towards your deals and then it kind of fizzles out. Like you keep building, you get more deals, that leverage can go up. And a lot of that stuff can be done independently. And then, you know, you can hire somebody on as you go to the point where it gets so big, you absolutely cannot handle the business side. That's when it's time to bring somebody in because that 20% won't hurt as much. But if you're small and you're not making, you know, 100,000 a year, if you're making 30,000, you're giving up, you know, 6,000 of that before you pay a cent in taxes. So, it's a lot of money to give up as you grow. So having that leverage and whatever you do is super important. That's always one thing that I try to preach as far as growth in business, whether that be personal, if you have a job, negotiate that extra $5,000, you have the leverage, right? That's $300,000 in career earnings that you could be giving up if you don't. So really just making sure you know who you are and knowing your status. I think on the influencer side, it kind of benefits you too, because you can approach these brands and they can say, I'll give you this much. Then you can say, well, I already have this. I can already get this from other people. Like you have to do this and you have that proven concept. Do you think that like having that proven concept, obviously it's super important, but do you think that it can help benefit people who want to do this whole thing independently to kind of keep track of that? Or do you think that like having the proven concept is only worth when you have somebody to negotiate on your behalf? No, I mean, I, there, I think there's no core answer to that because at it, you know, at the end of the day, what is value, right? Value is like a perceived notion, what you think something is, what I think something is. And if there's a difference in the middle, then we have a difference of value, right? Like, so with that in mind, we have to put data behind it. So saying, oh, I want a creator with 7% engagement, that's 20 to 25 years old in, in California that has sub 30,000 followers, right? Well, one brand might be like, oh, they're worth five bucks. The other brand might be like, oh, they're worth $500 because of your intent there. So I think as a creator, what you need to do is just understand the market itself, right? Know your worth. Um, there's lots of tools out there online that can kind of allow you to run your own numbers and evaluate what you're worth. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, if a brand's coming to you and they're like, Hey, we want to give you $500 for this, right? If another brand is, has offered you 1500, well, your price is 1500. You, you executed a campaign at 1500, right? And you delivered on it. So unless you really love that brand and you want to put it in your portfolio, maybe not budget 500, right? There's always negotiation to be had. And that's the fun part about the game. It's like, there's no set value of any of this. There's no set return. There's no set anything. Influencer marketing right now is in this space where there's no direct correlation between ads on influencer marketing and ROI because there's no data metrics associated with the real current time because you can't track that if I tell you to go buy you know, a new razor, right? There's no way to track that in two weeks from now, you go to CVS and you run into that blade razor and you go buy it, right? And it came from me. So with that in mind, the brands and the creators both have to look at that perceived value in a new unit of time every time they look at a deal. And I think that's the fun part, right? Like we'll have creators on Gluey that, you know, a brand deal will go out and it's like, hey, we want anyone with 500,000 plus followers on Instagram can do this brand deal. They'll get $500. And we'll see some kids with like a million or a million plus that jump in and do the brand deal. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, I know that you got a couple thousand for a deal a couple weeks ago. So why are you doing this for 500? And I even asked a creator one time, hey, why are you taking a, a smaller job, right? And he was like, oh, I just love this brand. He's like, I, I love this brand. I didn't know you guys had them on the platform. 
And uh, yeah, I honestly, I want to work with them because it fits for me. And I was like, you know, that's awesome. That is exactly what we built this for. And that was proof of concept and proof of validation of what I'm saying where people will bite, like, you know, a brand will bite to spend more and a creator will bite on a brand that they really want to work with. So just understanding as a creator, your value that you add to a campaign, your delivery, your ability to execute on asks and goals and wants and, and the creative side of thing and being able to take a creative brief and be like, yes, I can do exactly what you're looking for. Because a lot of times like brands will just like see an ad they love on social and just type it up in a brief and be like, you want one of these. And you know, a good creator, a lot of the creators we work with were like, hey, here's the brief. And they're like, yep, no brainer. Takes them a couple hours after they get the product and they have an ad even better than the one that the brand sent us in the brief. So it's like a lot of times a creator can execute very well because that's what they do. They create content, that's their job. And then a brand has to, at the end of the day, pay the value the creator wants because it's a supply and demand market. You know, if, if you don't want it from creator X, maybe you'll get it from creator Y. But if you really like creator X, why not pay what they want? Like this is a barter arbitrary system based on denoted value that differs between you and I, right? Like there's no, like nothing can tell you that me asking 500 for a feed post makes sense or doesn't make sense. There's nothing telling you that, oh, Kim Kardashian's price is 1.25 million. Why? Right? Like, because that's her price. So in this game, like it's a data game, but it's really a value game. So on the brand side, I would say be negotiable with creators. If they want to budge, budge, right? Work with them, grow these long lasting partnerships and relationships, because at the end of the day, there's no more cost effective method of advertising than creator marketing. And on the creator side, know your worth, you know, like go into it, make money for rent, be able to eat, be able to buy new clothes, be able to earn money to pay for your books at school, or maybe get a flight, go work with other creators somewhere, take a vacation, like, you know, live your life and live it well. But at the same time, like be an entrepreneur and be a boss when in those negotiation talks and, you know, work with brands that align with yourself and, and your personal identity and, you know, make it fun. I mean, it's your job. It's, it's, it's your career. Right. If we didn't love our jobs, we wouldn't do them. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that making that into a career is something that we're going to see a lot more of in, you know, five years. Right. You can make two million, three million dollars a year from your phone. People have leverage going into the workforce where it's like I can make money just being myself and living my life because somebody wants to see everything. Right. So if you can kind of create a market and boil down that niche, you can really do whatever you want. And I think that we're going to see a massive shift, especially because people, it's so not easy to be a big influencer, but it's so easy to create content. And the way the algorithms work, you could have an Instagram post, you know, blow up on reels and get a million views and that could change your life forever. So it's like stuff like that. I think that these brands and companies, you're going to see people who are going to enter these brands and companies as employees or in that work, general workforce, they're going to have more of that leverage that we talked about because it's so easy to do anything else now. And everything is so accessible that it's, you know, it's a whole different world. It's not 20 years ago when you walk into a job interview, they'd say, we're going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year and you'd be thrilled. It's like, no, I can make, you know, $200,000 a year on my phone. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. And the whole model is very interesting because of this creator space and how you can be a small creator, you can be a large creator, but you can, all you have to do is just create that content, you know, record your life that you're already living and it will eventually blossom. Obviously, you know, it takes time, it takes consistency and it takes work, but it will blossom and it's something sustainable you can create forever. So it's super crazy uh, on that side of things. And it's, you know, it's, 
it's not for everyone, right? Like I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, anyone can be an influencer, right? Because everything we've talked about today, kind of are rudimentary barriers one must climb over to get there, right? You have to grow your following. You have to be a boss. You, you have to understand advertising and marketing and, you know, how to work with brands and talk to brands. It's a very exciting game, but it's a lot of work. You know, it's, it's like to actually monetize your following, you need a following in order to make a following. You need an interesting life and a creative mindset. And, you need to create content that is engaging and, you know, welcoming to, to new followers and new users and stuff. And I think that it's very fun and it's a very, very, very interesting time to be in this because like you said, every single person, I mean, almost everyone I know makes more money from their phone than they do at their full-time job. So it's kind of like, why do people do jobs? Oh, just to fill time. Right. But like, what's people's hobbies? Every hobby is monetizable in today's age, right? Like if you're doing a hobby and you're not getting paid for it, chances are you could be getting paid for it. I'm not going to say chances are you're doing it wrong because that's your hobby. It's up to you. But chances are you could be on TikTok, right? Like showing off that hobby or I'm just using an example. Go on TikTok, make a page, show off that hobby. Next thing you know, you have a million followers and you're on our platform and brands want to pay you $3,000 per video, right? Like that can really happen overnight. We've seen that. We've worked with that. And I think it's really fun because like, I mean, there's millions of people with millions of followers, right? Like how crazy is that? Back in the day, I remember years ago when like a few of my friends had a couple million on Instagram, we were like, oh my gosh, we're some of like, we're one of the only crews out there that have like this stronghold on Instagram, right? And it's like now, oh my God, I turn around and I'm like, how does this person have 10 million followers, right? Like people apply. I mean, we look at at thousands and thousands of social pages of people applying to be on Gluey. And it's like every day I'm like, how did this person get 4 million followers? And like, no one I know has ever heard of them or like, I, we have no mutuals or anything like that. And I'm like, because there's just so many people online that it can happen like that. And that's what I think is yeah. so fun about this game is like, dude, it really is happening in real time. TikTok had more usage in 2021 than Google. Yeah. Come on now. Like, I, that's crazy. Yeah. These, these short form platforms are everything right now. And everything. you can build a brand if you work hard enough based on, you know, whatever you want that to be. It's not easy work, but it's very rewarding work down the line. So it's great. It's an incredible time to be alive in this space. I think that right now is the time to be a social entrepreneur, right? Crypto, NFTs, anything in social, hobbies being monetizable. The fact that you can get tipped on Twitter, you can get tipped on Clubhouse. There's companies like OnlyFans, you know, there are all these different sources of revenue just out there in the creator marketplace that I always say, like, I hear people online complain, you know, they got a couple thousand followers, 10, 20,000. They're like, oh my God, I'm broke. And I want to message them and be like, how, like, what, what can I do to help you? Like, you know, and that's what we're trying to figure out at, with, you know, Gloomy and stuff is how can we give the tools and the the knowledge necessary to make it so people aren't broke online anymore. You know, it's like, there are ways to monetize Trisha Paytas, who I think is hilarious online. She said it best. She says, I monetize every single aspect of my life down to taking a shower because she records it for OnlyFans. I know that's not suitable for work and I don't promote that by any means, but I thought that was so funny that she said that every second of her day is monetized via social media. She says, I get paid to sleep because I live stream in my sleep. I get paid to shower because it goes online. I get paid to do this. I get paid to do that. I do brand deals all day long. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that concept and reality and seeing that she made 10 plus million last year. I couldn't even think about the look on my mother's face if I told that to her 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? Like it would just, it's unfathomable. But to us, to you and to me, 
we don't even bat an eye when we hear something like that. It's like, oh my gosh, of course she did. Makes sense. So like that is just going to continue to be more normal and functional with technology as we continue to grow and social. And like, it's dude, it's, it is, you know, excuse my French, one hell of a time to be alive. Yeah. It, the whole thing is crazy. And the ability to make money in so many different ways now is bananas. I don't, it's never been like this before. And it's, I, like I said, I hate saying that it's easy, but it's never been as accessible to mm-hmm. generate income through literally anything that you do. So keep working, definitely go out, you know, find the means to do what you need to do and then put the right people around you who will support you in doing that. And you can be very successful uh, in whatever you do. So incredible. Chris, why don't you tell the people where they can find you outside of this and stay connected with you? Yes. So Instagram, okay, Chris, O-H-K-A-Y-C-H-R-I-S. LinkedIn, Christian Brown. You might have to type in Christian Brown Gluey. Um, Twitter, okay, Chris. You can download Gluey on the App Store if you're a creator. Apply as a creator. If you're a brand, uh, looking to harness the power of creator marketing in any way, shape, or form. We'd love to help you get on our platform, get started with the campaign, and start connecting, collaborating, and executing with creators. You can do so by going to www.glue.ee today. Uh, you can get a demo. Myself and some account managers from our team can be on that. And from there, you can sign up as a brand, and we will be in touch. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to work with you know any up-and-coming creators. You know, We have a platform to monetize with following, and any brand that wants to work with creators, we are here to help you do so in real time. So Adam, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and we shall be talking soon. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. All right, Until guys, next thanks. time, everybody. Thank you. Yes, sir.